Okay, we are recording live from the kitchen. Never recorded in here before. Are you going to say hello? Oh. It's Sammy! <laughs> oh. um, we're going to make beefcake. <laughs> <laughs> beefcake and gravy. <clears throat> Would have had a gravy base, but uh, Sam threw it away. Did you... Th this recipe, you have to roast a whole beef just to have leftovers. Right? <laughs> like, I don't typically eat a roast beef, and so, to cook this, I had to cook a specific roast beef to have leftover roast beef. There's so much beef. How much beef are these people eating? Also, in the Victorian days, how long can you even keep beef for? Like, you, you don't have a fridge? How long, like, who's got leftover beef? You've got to eat that shit before it goes off. Beef for breakfast. <laughs> anyway. Right, Sam, come on. Let's get some onions chopping. Do you want to chop the onions? Yeah. Sam hates onions. And this specifically picked a recipe with loads of onions in. Okay, so we're making uh, beef cake. And the ingredients are listed as the remains of cold roast beef. To each pound of cold meat allow a quarter pound of bacon or ham seasoning to taste of pepper and salt and one small bunch of minced savoury herbs and one or two eggs so then you mince the beef very finely and it says if it it will be better if it's underdone but uh, I, I overcooked it so that beef is uh, and then you add it to the bacon which must also be chopped very small and mix it well together and then you stir in the herbs and bind it with an egg uh, and then you stir in as many eggs as you want and then you make small square cakes what a half an inch thick and then you fry them in hot dripping so we got lard is that the <laughs> sam thinks that lard and dripping are not the same i think lard and dripping it's must be the same cheap. cheap oh sorry so i've got the poor i got the poor man's dripping <laughs> Great. Poor man's dripping. Uh, and then you serve it in a dish with good good gravy poured around. And I made a good gravy yesterday, but you threw it out when you did the washing up. Wasn't that good. But then the other thing that we're making is we're also making a thing called baked beef. All the onions in there. This is all the onions, is that right? Chop them all up. <laughs> Some hate on. Um, so... Baked beef is slices of cold roast beef, salt and pepper to taste. One, oh, one, one, one. One sliced onion. Don't chop all of those. One sliced onion, minced savoury herbs, five or six teaspoon tablespoons of gravy, or sauce of any kind, so we might do tomato ketchup, and mashed potatoes. But it doesn't say how to mash the potatoes, so I guess you have to go to the mashed potato part of the recipe to do that. Um... Butter the sides of a deep dish and spread the mashed potatoes over the bottom of it. On this place, on this place, layers of beef in thin slices, and it will be minced if there isn't sufficient beef to cut into slices. And then you well season it with pepper and salt. And this is the same recipe. This is the same recipe. Um, and very little onion and herbs, which should be previously fried of a nice brown and then put another layer of mashed potatoes and beef and the other ingredients as before and then you pour in the gravy or sauce and then you cover it all 
with another layer of potatoes and then you bake it for half an hour and then, then you can either serve that in the dish or you turn it upside down. So that's pretty good. That's just like a mashed potato, beef and onion pie. That sounds yummy. And welcome to Bonnets Dawn, the show that explores the lives and works of women writers from the 18th, 19th, and 20th centuries. I am your host, Lauren Burke. And I am your host, Hannah Chapman. And Hannah, would you like to tell the people what exactly was happening in that pre-intro? I believe that was a clip of you attempting a Victorian recipe. It was uh, attempting, not very successfully, (laughs) to cook something (laughs) From Mrs. Beaton's household book of household management, the the house the house book, the, the house be- book that one, the big one, the big Beaton's. one, the big Beaton book of houses, big boy Beaton, yeah, big boy Beaton's book of bounce and beef. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I would call it, because this week we are talking all things Mrs. Beaton. So basically, I've told the story before. But last year, last Christmas, I went to see Mrs. Beaton Says because my uber-talented friend Anna Kate Golding was in it. And this is a musical all about uh, the life and work of Isabella Beaton. And it blew my mind. I went in knowing sweet F.A. about her. I actually got confused with B. Nelson, Nilsson, who wrote like a 70s penguin cookbook that my mum gave me and my brothers. And it's like dense and Not thick same. and the pancake recipe great but it well it's like it kind of follows on it's you know it's not like a follow on at all but it's kind of Carrying in the same the torch vein. In a way it's like every mm-hmm. single recipe that you might ever need it's like basic like how to make a yorkshire pudding the yorkshire gotcha. pudding recipe is dreadful in oh. that book let me tell you anyway so we went to see uh this musical Mrs. Beaton says and I just came out of it thinking like wow the bonnets would love this they would love this musical they would love this story they will love Isabella Beaton um the songs were super earwormy it's the story of a woman finding her place in the world of publishing it's the story of hard work and legacy it's the story of women taking the opportunity to educate and better themselves there were brexit jokes and there's a <laughs> there's like a sad lad even like at the end that you just want to throw stuff out so let me you know believe me when i say it had it all <laughs> taking all my boxes i was crying at the end i was like sobbing i um we will actually talk about this play a little bit later on in the year because i did have the opportunity to interview the writer director so yeah and i feel like she is like just like our bonnets patron saint of theater honestly <laughs> good you should have you listened to any of the songs not yet um i think they're not on spotify yet there's you can listen to some clips i think from rehearsal i'll put it in the facebook okay. group but you can hear like at least the little bit that always gets stuck in my head and it's just mm-hmm. the line mrs beaton says which conveniently is also the name of the play so you will never forget it <laughs> So uh, one thing that I've since learned and kind of loved about this book that the Beatons worked on is that it was first published in 1861 after being collected for two years as this like monthly guide. Um, She was only like 21 when she started writing it. And I'm going to put this down to her age. But the original title of this book was... It's a long one. 
The book of household management comprising information for the mistress, housekeeper, cook, kitchen maid, butler, footman, coachman, valet, upper and under housemaids, ladies maid, maid of all work, laundry maid, nurse and nursemaid, monthly wet and sick nurses, etc, etc. Also, sanitary, medical and legal memoranda with a history of the origin of properties and the use of all things connected with home life and comfort. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot. That's a big market you got there. Well, that's why the book is so big. Just (laughs) you've got to fit the title somewhere. So despite what is, I think, truly the worst title we've ever, ever come across on this show, it did actually sell uh, nearly two million copies by 1868, which is... Two million. A lot. A lot. lot. And you do kind of want to fall in love with Mrs. Beaton, right? Isabella Beaton, taking that on, 21. She's only just recently been married. She's got no real experience. She's, you know sees this gap in the market like canny businesswoman her Mm -hmm. husband sam is a publisher she starts writing like not very successful articles for him and then over time it turns into this guide and yeah just the stones on her i tell you what it's amazing yeah i um this episode is going to be a little different because we're not going to dive into her life so much as uh her like her business acumen yeah i think yeah which is going to be really interesting in our interview today. But before we get to that interview, (laughs) why don't we check back in with uh, past Hannah in the the kitchen? (laughs) I'm just going to throw to Hannah in the kitchen. I'll tell you what, she was sweating. (laughs) It sounded hot. (laughs) It was was awful. It's one of the worst experiences of my life. Time. Loads of eggshell just went in. Time, yeah. Marjoram. Ooh, marjoram. Parsley, oregano, sage, basil. I mean, you're not going to get different than that. Oh, no. Is there two now? Oh, I should have done one and mixed it and then seen maybe two eggs is too much eggs. Also, there's loads of shell. How much shell is too much shell? There's quite a lot of shell in there. And a bit of crunch, texture-wise. That's too much egg! What does Mrs. Beaton say about that? Oh, no. It doesn't look great. I'm not going to lie. Right it's going to be really tasty. <laughs> the potatoes are boiling over. Can't even make a mash. Where's the wine? I'm just going to make an onion and wine sauce. Listen, everyone, I'm not making the Mrs. Beaton gravy that she asked for. I'm just going to cook some onions and put some wine in it, and some vegetable stock, and then some more wine, and some more onions, and that's what we're gonna, we're gonna see. Because I had beef, I had the beef juices, but we threw them away. So I don't know, I don't know what to do. Ah! So, I am making the assumption that Mrs. Beaton cooks her onions in butter. Right? And then she says to add the onion and the herbs, but the onion should be cooked. So does that mean that the onion and the herbs should be cooked together or separately? I don't think it'll make a difference. Also, she only wants you to put one onion in there. Hmm. Why is that surprising? 
Does it seem like enough? Yes, definitely. So what we have is mash, cold beef, browned onions, some herbs. We're gonna pour gravy on it, and then I'm gonna close it all off, put the mash on top, and then put it in the oven for half an hour. The beef cakes just need to get patted down. So I'm gonna go finish this bottle of wine, finish making this damn gravy, and then we'll be back in an hour, Lauren, an hour. Okay, so I've left Sam watching Austin Land um, in the sitting room, and I'm about to ugh, fry little, those, my beef cakes, which are just not holding together at all, like at all, and it, I think we've made too much, they're going to be like little beef, but it said squares, so is a square like a cube, is that, is that what Mrs. Beaton means, and also, I burnt myself with this fat, oh, and nothing smells good. I just want everyone to know that I'm having a horrible time and that I hate Mr. Peter. <laughs> I think something that I've struggled with with these recipes is just how like... Oh no, the smell. Just everything is so um, vague. It's like, oh yeah, the square should be half an inch thick. But how wide should that be? And what consistency should it be? and just I have so many questions I have so many questions I don't think Gordon Ramsay is going to serve these cake things how how is anyone meant to know when a beef cake is cooked because I've kind of burnt it on one side and now I just do I take one out and cut it in half I had to put a lid on it because there was just blood flying everywhere. Oh, I'm scared. I've pulled one out to have a look and I think that if this was a book you could call it The Littlest Beefcake. Okay, Sam, what are your initial thoughts? It looks fine. It looks fine. It looks normal. Like you say, it looks like you just said. It doesn't look... I think the beefcakes look weird. They look like burgers. They do look like burgers, but what were they supposed to look like? I don't really understand. She said uh, half inch thick squares. Well, they're not square. They're thicker well, than Well, I half did try, um, yeah. They, it's, and it, then this, she said to turn it upside down. Don't Should do I try that, and no. Know? Well. I feel like I'm eating a museum. <laughs> like this is what, this is what Gaskell's house tastes like. <laughs> like if you licked, yeah. if you licked the sofa in Gaskell's house, this is, that. it tastes of a beefcake. It's a disgusting. Now, uh, speaking of Gaskell, that's uh, <laughs> that's how I'm going to transition that. Does that work? Yeah. Sound good? That sounds great. <laughs> Our guest today is Team Gaskell. Her name is Maria Dumkier, and she is a Victorianist and author of the book Time, Domesticity, and Print Culture in the 19th Century Britain. So, now, yeah. If you'd asked me five minutes ago if I thought that was a long title... I would have said yes. You would yes. have said yes. But now, I'm a changed woman. So now, Maria, friends with uh, Dr. Amber from last week, 
actually holds a master's degree in literature from the University of Copenhagen and a PhD in English from King's College London. And we had a great time chatting uh, all things Gaskell, which you're not going to hear. Instead, you're going to hear about Isabella Beaton. Enjoy. Yes. So my introduction to Isabella Beaton was actually through my PhD supervisor. Um, I was I was I was going to write uh, about domestic time uh, in the 19th century, and my supervisor said, "Oh, you should do Mrs. Beaton's book of household management." I just nodded and said, "Yes, sure, I will look at that," um, and took a note of it. And I didn't know. I don't think that I knew anything about it because I'm Danish. Uh, I didn't really grow up grow up with this as a as a thing, as a as a as a phenomenon, the way it is in the UK. Um, but once I got into it, I thought it was so fascinating because my my idea was was about time and temporality. And then I found out this massive, massive book which had sold millions of copies. It's the best selling cookery book in the last half of the 19th century. It was first published serially in like monthly installments. I was fascinated by this. And so I've seen the original um, uh, serial uh, monthly installments in the British Library. And the, the little booklets, tiny little paperback booklets of 32 pages each with, with ads and with a, a, a paper cover around it. And, but the book, the, the, the thing that really fascinated me was that the, the, the text isn't set for serial publication. It's, it's, they've, they've typeset the whole thing and layout for the final book. So, so the serial each month, it just cuts off in the middle of a sentence, in the middle of a recipe. Um, so, so, so you, 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 you might be sort of reading along, buying it serially, which makes sense because it means that the buyer will sort of spread the cost over the eventually two years that it took to publish it. But if you were trying to read along, or, 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 or you're really getting interested in this in this um, pea soup, but then it just cuts off in the middle of the recipe, so you don't get all the instructions. You have to wait a whole month. I just thought that's a fascinating way of doing it. I must have it as own challenges. So, um, so then I started looking into the serial publication at the time was very big, not but not just for novels, also for nonfiction. Um, and uh, and that's what I thought I got interested in Isabella. Like she was she was twenty one when she started writing this book, um, and and she died very young at twenty eight. But she became this phenomenon, and that was partly because her husband uh, Samuel Beaton was 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 so good a publisher and an advertiser that he built it into a brand. Um, but I think it was also just an accident that she became so well known that her book became so famous. I don't think anyone was expecting it. He was the brand. When they, when they married and she started writing for his magazines and his stuff um, and writing this book, he, he had the brand name and everything was Beaton's. It was Beaton's book of household management originally and not Mrs. Beaton's book of household management. Like it was in his sort of brand synergy. But he thought his big seller was going to be um, the wonderfully named... Dictionary of Universal Information, which was was also a serial. It was, in fact, it was a, it was an encyclopedia, but it was also sort of serially serially published. He started that a year before the Book of Household Management, and I really think he thought this is my power project. This is the one that's going to make my name. Um, but it was the Book of Household Management that, for some reason, just took off. So the book is selling and resonating with the middle classes who are buying into it, right? 
Exactly, exactly. I think that's what the, the book of household management does really well. It's speaking directly to those people who don't necessarily know how to be middle class, but that is like that is the class that is consolidating at this time. Um, and the middle classes need to define themselves um, against, well, both against the aristocracy, who are seen to be sort of profligate and promiscuous and spending way too much money, and against, against the working classes. So the middle classes are starting to define themselves here as we're very organized and we and and hard working and frugal and we make the most out of everything and that's why we're sort of a moral authority in the world so the middle classes take over the project of of the british empire and understand themselves to be at the sort of moral center and then for and she speaks directly to that she keeps saying oh you know dining well is the is the origin of our civilization it defines us it's who we are so so, so, so that's what it's doing. And then I don't know if you've noticed, but it's got so many little factoids in there. Sort of, oh yes, uh, currants are usually grown here, and uh, and and raisins are made from blah blah, and cinnamon is grown in the whatever. It's all of this information, and you kind of go, who wants that? You're trying to make a lemon cheesecake, and you're being told. Uh, where lemons come from. It's like, wow. But that's part of the project. I organizing everything, all of the information, and then sounding clever. So so, so, so I think it's also about um, uh, you need to sound inf uh, informed. You need to sound educated. You need to know the world and organizing and bring it into your home and bringing the world into your home and into a system, um, I think is, is crucial. So you can't just be ignorant because you're middle class and you're center of the British Empire. You need to you need to be able to talk with knowledge about the world. It's all part of it. All of that. It's like bettering yourself. It's wonderful. Where was she getting all of these recipes? All over. Uh, yeah, but yes, she um she from the start she was just picking this from um other extremely well-known publications. So she has a number of, of, of male French cooks who wrote very well-known cookery books in the first half of the 19th century. So Alexis Sawyer was possibly her most famous, well-known contemporary um, who, who she steals from. And she also sometimes credits him, but a lot of others like uh, a guy called Eustad Oud and then the female cooks uh, Eliza Acton, Hannah Glass, um, and there's a, there's a strong distinction there between the male celebrity chefs are often French, um, and the female cooks are always uh, addressing themselves more directly to uh, to to a reader who will do the stuff themselves to the cook or whoever is making the food, or to a housekeeper. Um, so, so she's got a lot of really good information to draw from. And she, she has no experience herself. Isabella, at this point, when she starts writing it, is six months married and has no experience other than she, she, took, some, she took some classes in, a, in, a, in, in pastry. She was really interested in pastry after she got home from, from, her, from her German um, girls' school that, wish, that she went to for a few years. Um, but other than that, she has no practical experience at all, and she's just lifting this from everyone. It's fantastic. She re it's, it's, she's everyone is plagiarizing at this time, um, but especially in cookery books. But she's rewriting it. I don't think you couldn't say 
like her, the, the the origin of her recipes is not there it's all taken from somewhere none of it is original to her and none of the ideas none of the information is original to her but the way she rewrites it into her toe into her own voice i think is very creative i just find her fascinating and wonderful i think she's a very powerful um writer in her own right it's just everything is list- lifted from somewhere else but she's always rewriting it and fitting it into her own um into her own voice and idea and and perspective it's just instructions but but she's giving it all a spin of sort of this is important you're doing important work you're organizing the world At one point she says that civilization is really about or ordering the material world that's sort of crude and raw into a more sophisticated uh, manufactured pr- uh, product. Essentially, that's also what she's saying. That's also what food is. That food is the center of civilization is what she's saying. And it's, it's also a very confident and wonderful sort of standing at the forefront of the world kind of argument. And she's 21 to 23 when she's writing this. I just think it's amazing. Um, and also, she, she, and she also, the way she uses, uh, the way she organizes it, that's also very creative. She, she has a very strong organizing system. Uh, if you look at a uh, facsimile of the first edition, you can see she uses all these different kind of, kinds of fonts and font sizes. Um, so it's very easy to navigate, which you look at when you look at other, um, other cookery books from the time. They're very jumbled often. It's very hard to like pick your way through it. So, so as an organizer, as a as a layouter, I mean, well, probably Sam helped her with the layout, really. But that's really where she comes in to her own, I think. Yeah, it's weird. I find Mrs. Beaton's weirdly accessible as a modern reader. Absolutely, um, and uh, a lot of it is very, very, very practical. It, and she she lays out in the beginning. She says, "I'm not going to, um, I'm not going to be imprecise. I'm gonna everything is going to be laid open to you, the reader. So there's nothing opaque or hidden about this art. I think everything can be stated with precision, precision, and that's what I'm gonna do for you. Um, so 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 it's all about how you can do this. And she actually she tweaks a lot of it to make it more precise and reproducible. And she says at the beginning, right? Um, as with the commander of an army or the leader of any enterprise, so it is with the mistress of a house. Her spirit will be seen through the whole establishment. It's all about how you, if you organize yourself, then you can organize your home. So the layout that she uses is, 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 is instrumental to that. Now, you've made a recipe from Mrs. Beaton's before, right? Which one was it? Yes, I made. I and I'm. I keep making this. This is really good. It's um, apple cheesecakes, tiny little cheesecakes with a, a, a filling, a, sort of a custardy filling with some some applesauce in it. It's very good. It doesn't have any cheese in it, um, but that's because cheesecakes have a weird history uh, in Britain um, from the sort of early modern period. Uh, the cheese disappeared because they were they became um, marketed. Oh, they became specific for for fast days, and so they took the cheese out at some point to make it more f- fasting appropriate for sort of Fridays, non meat eating days. And then the modern cheesecake is actually the one that comes back to Europe from America in the twentieth century. In some ways, Mrs. Beaton's reminds me of Fanny Farmer's cookbook, which was originally published in the states in eighteen ninety six. 
do you guys have anything similar in Denmark? I, yeah, I mean, in Denmark, there is called, there is one called 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 Miss Jensen, who, who who had a famous cookbook in the late half of the nineteenth century. Um, so so yeah, I think it's a that's the moment in the nineteenth century, the early nineteenth century is when the Grimm brothers start writing down uh, all of the fairy tales, right? And in the nineteenth century is the moment where all the museums are being built, where everything is being put into. Uh, into uh, a context and a taxonomy, and Darwin is is writing, and he publishes on the origin of species the same year that Beaton's book of household management starts publishing in Serial, and I think it's part of the sort of nineteenth century drive overall to start organizing the world to try and put it into a system and hierarchies and stuff. So, um, so I think all over people are trying to say, okay, what's unique about our culture? It, whether it be fairy tales or art or or, or cook or yeah or cooking, um, so so I think we're beginning to see that, and also everything become everything gets gets put down in print culture. Print culture is starting to shape the world. I think previous generations you would learn cookery maybe primarily from your mother or, or through the female line, and the Victorians really start. Um, much more getting their information from print and we see mass print culture growing and I've just find that so fascinating I kind of see it a little bit as a parallel to uh, my mom's generation when she learned to do embroidery and craft she learned from you know her, her family members and nowadays we go on YouTube right to learn how things are done and I think you can see the same thing but the old mode is still exist is still in existence and you still do learn craft from your elders but you also have a new medium available to you that will tell you how things are done um so so in a sense yeah she's 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 trying to write the 19th century sort of internet or youtube channel for cookery and we are back ah uh, i lauren that line that bit that that little truth bomb that little mic drop that Maria gives us about uh, equating the books to the Beatons trying to write the internet, mm-hmm. like blew my mind. Like that's Great. exactly what is happening. And actually um, a lot of the notes that I prepared for this interview and just that I found in my own research of the Beatons just kept coming back to that encyclopedic kind of, it's not a cookbook. It's mm-hmm. like, it is meant to be more than that. And they were consulting with like legal people and doctors and really not relying on their own knowledge and just stealing where they can steal stuff. Like it's <laughs> fascinating. And like, that is the internet. And it reminds me as well, just of the days like doing school projects and we had like all of the Encyclopedia Britannica on the oh, shelves yeah. in our dining room and just being like, oh gosh, I've got to go and figure that out. And you pull it out and there's maybe like five lines about mm-hmm. this topic and it's like great well that's my homework because there's no and now i've got to rewrite this one little line yeah exactly into like a 1000 word essay so annoying <laughs> yeah. so annoying uh, but i will say the one thing i felt a bit seen when uh when you were talking about it i i have a row of glass jars with like pasta and lentils and stuff in it on my oh, kitchen yeah. counter I love that. I have that. all of my, um, my sugars are labeled. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Yes. I just kept thinking during that interview too, like, wouldn't it have been something if like Mrs. Beaton was an identity like 
the doctor or James Bond and it's just like handed down from lifestyle writer to lifestyle writer. Yeah, if it was still happening. Yeah. Because like, I, I don't think it was touched on in the interview, but the the person that kind of took the mantle on after Mrs. Beaton was her friend. It was like mm-hmm. a close friend of hers, right? So Right. So like it could have could have happened and it's still published today they still publish like sections like mrs beaton's jams or mrs beaton's desserts or whatnot but um it just it would be really interesting if it was more of a a person or like her current iteration could be like i don't know a pinterest queen yeah you know that's what she would be i would if i was a companion in doctor who i would uh, want my episode to be stepping out of the TARDIS and there's these two like Victorian women and I'm like who are these and it's like Aunt Bessie and Mrs. Beaton do you know who Aunt yeah. Bessie is? I don't know Aunt Bessie she's like frozen Yorkshire puddings woman okay right nice yeah That'd I want them to hang Doctor out who I episode, want... actually. yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's just me there going Mrs. Beaton's just like you f- you do what to the potatoes? No, Aunt Bessie's there going, just stick them in the freezer. <laughs> if, I don't know if it would be that interesting. Well, I think it would be <laughs> actually really cute. Well, I think what's interesting about Isabella Beaton too is that she is unexpected, right? Like when you, like I just saw the cover of the book and I assume she's like- women. This, yeah, like Mrs. Patmore, mm-hmm. you know, in Downton Abbey. Like, I assume that's who it was that was like, okay, here's all of my acquired, you know, knowledge, like for this one book, where it's a 21 year old who is gathering bits of information from here and there and just like, how do I package this mm-hmm. essentially? Yeah. And like, what's my brand identity that I can use to sell this further? But like, there oh, were yeah. a couple of quotes, and I know that Maria like touched on some of them, but I just, I really loved how. Isabella viewed cooking and Mm. like the status symbol and like especially for the middle classes it really was a thing it was like an elevation of right it's not just eating for survival right you're feasting and so these two quotes are from the big boy book of food right (laughs) that I can't (laughs) say um As in the fine arts, the progress of mankind from barbarism to civilization is marked by a gradual succession of triumphs over the rude materialities of nature. So in the art of cooking is the progress gradual from the earliest and simplest modes to those of the most complicated and refined. Ooh. I like that. And also when you think that like, again, in the interview that talked about just the change that was happening to recipes and the way they were written. And Mm -hmm. Isabella was really like at the forefront of changing how we view recipes and instructions and ingredients lists. And so, you know, the other quote is, dining is the privilege of civilization. The nation which knows how to dine has learned learned the leading lesson of progress. That sounds very British to me. That's what she's doing, right? It's like, does that sound really British? Why does that sound British? Um, no, I like it. It also Empire. It, empire. <laughs> yeah, you would have loved the Brexit jokes in this musical. <laughs> I'm sure I would have. But I just she's kind of like she's practicing what she's preaching. So she's saying like yeah. cooking is about like progress and and showing like what you can do and what can be achieved and like mm-hmm. you know, making a difference or making a statement and that's really what this book does like 
Samuel and Isabella working together on this book create something that frankly like although the recipes have been stolen like it hasn't been attempted in this size or to this scale Mm -hmm. and really it's you know how do we share that progress with with more people so I just I found that really interesting so that's where Jello took me but I know that you you didn't boil any feet you didn't boil any meat (laughs) what did you cook Lauren tell me about um so I made two recipes out of this um Mm -hmm. First up was a lobster curry. And the reason why I picked this is because I often have uh, this like leftover lobster problem. Lauren, that is like the bougiest <laughs> bullshit I've ever heard. Let me explain. <laughs> so, no way. I just want that. I often have a leftover lobster problem quote to yeah. just. I knew just I was going to get shit for it. Like, like, just, just tantalizingly. Hmm. Guys. I have a leftover lobster problem. <laughs> Hashtag Nigella problems. Um, no, so my my stepdad, my family, um, you know, mix of us are from New Orleans. And my stepdad and I really love like these big New Orleans style like seafood boils. Um, and whenever we do like a big family celebration, like that's what we like to do. Uh, except for the fact that my mother is allergic to seafood. <laughs> so... <laughs> She can't be in the kitchen while this happens. And my brother is a very, quite a strict vegetarian for the past uh, 20 years. So he's not involved in this at all. And then my husband is just kind of like, like, sort of like, yeah, I like seafood. And he's kind of like, not all the way in it. So really, it's just my stepdad and I going to Costco, buying an absurd amount of seafood. And then trying to eat like 200 crab legs and lobsters just there on Christmas night. Like, oh, God, what have we done again? So um, what I have been doing for years is taking all of that and like creating like a soup mm-hmm. um, that kind of you know, helps keep and whatnot. But um, I saw this uh, lobster curry and I was like, OK, you know what? Actually, I haven't done that. That's a good call. I should do that with my leftover lobster. And um, you see that a lot in Mrs. Beaton's, don't you? Like, Mm -hmm. it is economical. It is like what to do with your leftovers. If you have both of the recipes that I cooked were leftover, leftover recipes. So I had to cook a beef joint to get the leftovers because unfortunately in 2019, I'm not keeping leftover beef in the fridge. Right. (laughs) So you're not regularly cooking those joints. No. Her recipe for lobster curry is very basic. It is lobster, butter, stock, onion, and curry powder over rice, basically. It sounds um, nice. It's very nice, actually. I mean, I mean, it's fine by modern standards, right? Okay. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like a bit of spice. So, I mean, I tasted it. I was like, this is fine, which didn't make for any dramatic audio at all, mm-hmm. right? Um, and also, it wasn't terribly difficult to cook because... It, although it was vague, it's like okay if you've cooked these things before, like yeah. you you know how to you know how to make rice. It's it's fine. Um, but I did proceed. The instructions to add, are vague, right? Oh, yeah, God. they're pretty vague. They are so vague. They're it's like just, take a lobster, cook it, cook an onion. I'm like how how much? How, yeah. Like do you want you know? Yeah, it's like cook onion. And I'm like, okay, I'm just going to add this butter and onion together because this is how I know how to do it. Like, I just was like, I'm going to, my knowledge is just going to fill in the gaps here, but Mine it is, is like very vague. Six, six handfuls of herbs. Which six. Herbs? Which? Which? Any. 
what? Yeah. <laughs> Unclear. Um, I will say I I added um, garlic, chilies, and ginger, among other things. So that's what that's what I that's the beaten spirit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, you know, it's a good it's a good base, Isabella. Mm-hmm. It's a good base, good starting point. So, um, you know. The one, so I almost cut this entire bit out because it was just like, okay, no drama ensued from this lobster curry. But while I was cooking it, um, I did notice that she had all of these great like lobster facts Mm -hmm. next to the recipes. So um, I'm guessing what you're supposed to do with these facts is while you're dinner guests. I'm I'm guessing. Um, So some of the things that she mentioned um, was like, you know, where Londoners get their lobsters which is Norway, Um, how lobsters uh, feed themselves, pinch and snip. And uh, this poetic bit about the shell of a lobster. And um, Hannah, would you you like to read it? I'd love to. Okay, Uh, good. like Like others of its tribe, the lobster annually casts its shell. Previously to its throwing off the old one, it appears sick, languid and restless but in the course of a few days it is entirely invested in its new coat of armour whilst in its defenceless state however it seeks some lonely place where it may lie undisturbed and escape the horrid fate of being devoured by some of its own species who have the advantage of still being encased in their mail it's fantastic that's great i mean okay guys out there we i know we have a few if you are a literary inspired web series producer, come on. Like, why aren't you adapting Mrs. Beaton's? Because, like, you have all these weird little factoids that you can throw in there. I mean, you have all these weird Victorian recipes at your disposal. Come on. Okay, so what else did you make? Okay, so the other thing that I made um, was whipped syllabub. Mm-hmm. And the reason I was drawn to this was actually because of my love of Come Dine With Me. I am an American super fan of this show, you guys. I love Come Dine With Me. I, I would oh love to God. write an essay about it. Oh, my God. I, you could easily write an essay about Come Dine With Me tied to Mrs. Beaton, all about, like, middle class aspirations and dining. Mm-hmm. I mean, my God, like because that's all it is. The best episodes of come dine with me are when someone is accused of being too posh (laughs) or like trying too hard being phony i mean it really is like it's a class battle on that show and which is yeah i mean you know yeah we could do a whole episode on come dine with me but i will say i have seen so many arguments on come dine with me about syllabub And like people being accused of being of trying too hard, of trying to be posh, or of being old fashioned when they make yeah. it. So I was like, "What is this?" John and I have actually been joking about syllabub for years. I've never tried it. Um, it's not really. I mean, I'm not going to say it's not a thing in the United States. I would think it's, it's probably more common. of a thing in the. It's less common and more in the South. Okay. So this would I not mean, be. I mean, I will a say it really isn't a thing here. Listen, I've never I have seen it. at least 30 people make it on Come Dine With Me. Yeah, at on least. Come Dine With Me. But these people also self-imposed the rule of, did you churn your own butter? If you I watch mean, season one of Come Dine With Me, there are people ordering that catering in from a restaurant and no one bats an eyelid. That show evolved all on its own. That oh, syllabub yes. thing. 
the, that is not a reflection of society. Like, <laughs> really, come dine with me. is It's like a pet, Petri dish or a Petri dish or whatever it is. And they, like, they put the syllabub in there. And I don't know, it's like the last grain of syllabub in this world is trapped on that show. As an American watching Come Dine With Me, I think that British people have syllabub at least once a week. I would love to hear from anyone who's eaten a syllabub (laughs) because I've never had it or seen it in a restaurant. Well, I've never had it, but I have it right here in front of me. Please, yeah, I need you to, yeah. Um, Should I tell you guys really quickly what is in this um, in case you're not British and you have not seen an episode of Come Dine With Me? Um, We've got some cream, sherry, and brandy, a little bit of lemon and grated nutmeg, um, and some powdered sugar to sort of like make some whipped cream for the top. There are a bunch of different ways to make syllabub, which I've sort of uh, been looking at over the past few weeks. Um, the one that is on Come Dine With Me is more of like a chilled syllabub. Mm-hmm. But obviously, since I'm doing the Mrs. Beaton one, this is more of a room temperature, whipped room temperature, <laughs> tepid dairy an alcohol drink. Okay. So, um, Hannah, I'm just going to show show you the syllabub. I don't the camera. see it. You've, I don't, it doesn't look nice. See that sprinkle of nutmeg on top and it, I mean, I put way too much nutmeg on top. It smells like Christmas. Okay, here we go. I want to hear the swallowing in the microphone. You've got to get okay. real down and dirty with that. Okay, I mean, <laughs> I'm not a, like a fan of like alcohol and dairy to get as a combo, like an eggnog situation. I've never had eggnog. Okay. Do you, um, have you had Bailey's? Yeah, but that's different. Is, I mean, I mean, is it better? It's better. <laughs> it's not, not exactly different, just better. This is not the worst thing I've ever had. When I was a teenager, I used to go to a nightclub that served alcoholic milkshakes. And let me tell you, the vomiting. Was, yeah, I, I can't handle that. They I, had they had to stop. Okay, the challenge is I want to get some audio reactions or like some ugh. videos on your Instagram stories. Tag us. I want you to make a syllabub and I want you to show us your reaction to having it. That's what I yeah. want. Did I yep. put too much brandy? Did Mrs. Beaton ask for too much brandy? Ugh. I don't know that that can be true. so i promise we won't be doing catering for any upcoming events anytime soon we do have a couple coming up we will not be bringing syllabub with us i promise i guarantee so yeah (laughs) yeah no not at all um we have a new event to add i can't stop making this face hannah don't look at me i know you're gonna really struggle (laughs) (laughs) um so Some of you guys might already be familiar with Page One as a book subscription service, but did you know that it is now an independent bookshop in Evanston, Illinois? Um, Page One is actually graciously hosting us for a live Bonnet to Dawn taping on Saturday, July 27th at 4 p.m. The shop is actually super cute, you guys. They have um, an Austin versus Bronte section, which I made some suggestions for. Really? Yeah, it's really cute. (laughs) Ah, I know. It is our kind of bookstore. So, um, yeah, we're hosting an event there. It's going to be great. We've got some, like, fun and games. Yeah. Scheduled. Like, heavy participation. Top banter. Wear your big boy bants pants for this. 
there might be some like goofy little giveaways and just, yeah, some fun times. Page One will also be doing a giveaway at our Red Lion Pub Quiz on Saturday, the 20th of July. Now, tickets for that are almost sold out. Might be like two or three left, guys. Yeah, you gotta get on it. Gotta get on it. Um, Like a bonnet, we have more information on that on our social media. What is that? Our social media is, as always, Bonnets at Dawn on Instagram and Twitter. You can email us, bonnets at dawn at gmail dot... She downed it. Bonnets at dawn at gmail dot com. <laughs> and you can find us on Facebook by searching Bonnets at Dawn and joining our group. That's where we are. That's true. Woo. Nothing like a bit of like lemon and milk to really <laughs> help settle oh, it. No. And brandy and sherry. Oh, I can't wait to have some syllabub.